Okay, record. Hello and welcome to the Overcome Yourself podcast. As you know, I'm Nicole and I am here with Patricia. And I'm so excited to be talking to Patricia today. Um, I'm going to let her tell you, I know she helps authors, right, in the, to stand out. Um, so tell me about you. Tell me your story um, about, you said living in a van or living in a bus. Like, I want to hear all about that and um, how you help authors stand out. So talk to me, Patricia. How are you? Oh, my gosh. Way to start with, like, you know, a small subject. Um <laughs> <laughs> Aloha! I am half Hawaiian, uh, and that is a great cool. center for everything that I do. Um, and it, it definitely, my my ethos in life is that we humans have far more work to do, and our work is something that no machine and no computer can ever replace. And that is love. Our work is love, and that is the center of Hawaiian concept as well. Aloha. Now, a lot of people think that aloha means hello, goodbye, and love. Here's what it really means. Here's what it really means. Ha is the sacred breath of life. It is the sacred breath that gives us life. It is also our sacred life, right? So ha is your sacred breath, right? Alo is we recognize, we share. So we share and we recognize our sacred breath of life. That is the real meaning of aloha. And that in, in, in having that at the center of everything that I do is transformative. Um, I didn't realize this about myself for a long time. I did not understand how Hawaiian I was until I took on a kapu much years, many, many years later. Um, and I realized that I had grown up knowing these words, knowing this culture, understanding this society and living this way. And then all of a sudden it was just like, boom, this is, this is you, this is what you do. This is, this is who you are. Right. And speaking to me now, you would never know that I was mute until 11 years old. Wow. I was mute until I was 11 years old. So you've heard me now already be exuberant and, and present and you know, and, and, and cognizant and capable of speaking eloquently. Uh-oh, I'm getting a phone call. I have to decline it. <laughs> Goodness, what timing. Um, but you've seen me be exuberant and vibrant and here and present and eloquent and so on and so forth. And, and of course, now I'm, I keep, did I keep, did I cut out again? No, no, you're good. I still hear you. Okay. Um, and I didn't speak until my 11th birthday party. So, but before this, before this, I was an entrepreneur. Before I was speaking, I was an entrepreneur. My mother was disabled, is disabled. Um, and my father was, well, put it this way. My father was an assistant general manager. Oh, I need to message her. But my, uh, she keeps calling. My friend keeps calling. Um, yeah, but check and make but, sure everything's okay. Yeah. Hold on. Let me message her right. My housemate. All right, we're back. Awesome. So I started my first business when I was actually seven years old and still mute. Um, my mother was disabled, is disabled. My father was an assistant general manager of the 7-Eleven when he got my mother pregnant. And uh, he was a felon. That was the best that he could do. So what he did 
is he took a book from his father's page and his grandfather's page. He sold his motorcycle and bought a lawnmower to support us. Wow. So he started a landscaping company. Not only did he start a landscaping company, he grew it to 200, over 200 employees. Wow. And then he bought a t-shirt screen printing company so that myself and my mother would have something to do. And then he started doing courier work so that he could be around more. So my dad was my hero. And I woke up one time at seven years old and realized that the cupboards were bare. There was absolutely no food. And I was uh, getting reduced lunch at school. So I had $2.35 to my name for the whole week so that I could get lunch at school. And so I did what every kid does when there's no food in the cupboards and they have $2.35 to their name. I went to the store and I bought a candy bar. I bought two candy bars. I spent all my money on candy bars. And then I went to the school and did something that kids don't normally do. And I sold those candy bars. And I did that over and over again. And mind you, I'm mute. Okay. I am dead silent. I hold up the candy bar. I put up one finger. They give me a dollar. They get the candy bar. It's not that hard. What's your excuse? Wow. Okay. Okay. Wow. Like that was what I did at seven years old. And then you better believe once I was no longer mute, the world was my oyster. So this is what happened. That made me no longer mute. It's my 11th birthday party. My mom's a radio junkie. So she won a 10 person roller skating birthday party at the roller skating rink. And so here I am 11 years old, not very popular because you know, I don't talk much, but I managed to bribe 10 people to come to my birthday party with a a free ticket to go roller skating. And so we're roller skating around and, and my best friend at the time was this she had this disorder where she had to eat 5,000 calories a day in hopes of not continuing to lose weight. Wow. She was skin and bones. But me, I was Barilla Chica. I was the big girl, okay? I was the really big girl, really big girl. I was not anything to look at. But so she's skating. Basically, 90% of the reason why she's able to skate is because I'm holding her up. Wow. And she was my best friend because she would she talked to everybody and nobody really liked to her liked her so much because of the fact that she was always very talkative. Um, and so but she would sit there and talk my ear off all the time. And she I listened. That's why she liked me. I listened, <laughs> you know, and I liked her because she still kept talking. And I started learning how to speak through her because yeah. she was always talking. So I kept, I, you know, we kept each other around because I listened and she talked <laughs> and it was kind of like a Jay and Silent Bomb situation. Mm-hmm. You know, she always knew kind of what I was thinking. And so we're skating and I'm holding her up and I see somebody up ahead doing the whole like pinwheel thing. They're about to fall down. And I'm trying to point this out. I'm like, hey, look, look ahead. And she's not paying any mind. She's still talking to me. Sure enough, the inevitable happens. Somebody right in front of us trips over them. She trips over them and then I land on her and I hear the most unmistakable sound. If you have never heard this before in your life, you will never forget it and you will know instantly what has happened. I broke her arm underneath me. Everybody in that roller rink heard it and the whole world stopped. Oh my goodness. And I stood up and I just exclaimed, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Now, my mom, I mentioned she's disabled. One of her disabilities is epilepsy. So as soon as she heard her daughter speak, 
<laughs> she's so down having an epileptic. It's like wow. So now here I'm massively embarrassed. I've broken my friend's arm at my birthday party and my mom is having a seizure. This is the worst day of my life. And I learned a lesson in that day. I learned that it is far better to speak your truth than to bear the pain of your silence. Wow. The reward of speaking your truth far outweighs watching people suffer because of your silence. And then the world was my oyster. Wow, 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 wow. And then I started in 1992. So the next year, 1992, I'm skipping school at the library. And I'm talking to a homeless man at the library at the computer next to me. And he teaches me HTML. I started making my first website in 1992 while skipping school at the library, learning it from a homeless man. Wow. <laughs> Four years later, I start developing websites professionally. Now, at the time, I still didn't know that this was where I was going to end up being. My dream was to go into Navy because I didn't have any other path to college. My mm -hmm. dream was to go into the Navy and be JAG, Judge Advocate General, an attorney. That was my dream. So, I mean, at this point in my life, I'm getting into the best shape of my life. I'm doing everything that I can to, to be ready for military life. I am, you know, learning everything about it that I can. I'm in junior ROTC. I'm, I'm doing all of this, you know, I'm, I'm my classes for school. My sec so my first semester in high school, I failed the physical training test. Uh, totally failed it, totally bombed it, right? So I said, that's never happening again. My second semester of, of freshman year, you know what my classes were? PE, team sports, weightlifting, and ROTC. Those were my four classes. Wow. <laughs> it never happened again. It never happened again, right? So yeah, I'm still building websites on the side. And then I get to be 16 and my parents move out and I decide that I'm going to stay in Florida because like, this is how I'm going to end up doing what I want to do. Like my parents don't get me. They don't know my priorities. So I'm just going to, you know, do what I have to do to, to be independent and, and stick to my career because, you know, my parents just ain't there for me. They were very hands off. And it's a blessing to me because I've learned how to think for myself, but I took the ASVAB. I passed that with flying colors. I took the physical test and the stress test. I passed that with flying colors. And then they told me, so now for the easy part, family history. <laughs> and that's when I found out that if your mother and half brother have epilepsy, the Navy doesn't want you because wow. you could develop it at any time. And they don't want to put you under that kind of stress to, to develop it. Now, by now I had overcome obesity, rheumatoid arthritis, and my own mindset to be here. Now my world was crushed, absolutely crushed. I had done everything and given up everything to have this life. And now my one, one and only path to college was closed. Hmm. But little did I realize I already had everything I needed within me. It wasn't long after that, that I forged a career on the forefront of digital media. And I ended up podcasting and blogging before it was actually set as the name. So when podcasting and blogging were still being debated as to whether it would be called podcasting and blogging, here I am, a co-host of WordPress Weekly Podcast. 
podcasting about blogging. Wow. Okay. Here I am, uh, chief editor for masternewmedia.org. Here I am working for the number one um, social media marketing agency in the world at the time, now sourcing. And I'm one of their agents because I was a standout on Twitter. I was somebody who was growing my Twitter following faster than anybody else. I had figured out the system on social media. So here I am at the forefront of social media, at the forefront of new media. And I have no idea why I'm here, but as the years went on, it became apparent that my love of books, my passion for people to blossom and tell their stories and speak up would eventually be my purpose. And I've been doing that now for three years. For three years, I have coached over 200 authors to go from nothing, absolutely nothing, to bestsellers on New York Times and USA Today and so on and so forth. I have five New York Times bestsellers under my belt at this point. Wow, that's so cool. And that's no easy accomplishment. No. It's an old boys club. It ain't pretty. For the most part, it is pay to play. There are other ways. There are other ways to develop your career and do what you want to do with your book. And I'm absolutely here to support you in those things. But if you want to be on the top of New York Times, I can help you get there. That's what I do today. And that's with traditional or self-publishing? Yes. Both? Awesome. Let me tell you the story of Kiyosaki. So Robert Kiyosaki, a rich dad, poor dad. A lot of people don't know. He started out self-published because he went into every single publishing house there was and got laughed out of them 100% of the time. They said, there's no way this is the reality. There's no way this is the truth. There's no way this is what you do. This, 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 is, not, this is not the way that you really make millions. He got laughed out. So what he did was he published it self-published. And then what he did was he went on every single podcast, every single local TV show, every single local radio show, every single everything, every single newspaper, everything where he could get a stage. And he told them, he told them a lie. He said, go to your local bookstore and request this book. You can get it. Hmm. It was a lie because you couldn't get it. But. Demand. He created demand. He created demand. He created demand. He had people by the droves going to bookstores and asking for this book. And then he had bookstores by the droves going to distributors and asking for this book. And then he had distributors by the droves going to publishers and asking for this book. So that by the time he walked into a publisher, they were begging him to sign a deal. That's beautiful. That is, as entrepreneurs, that's the secret sauce to learning what to do. That is the secret sauce. And you know what? Because you could have so many products and if you don't know how to market them, if you don't understand how to find the demand or create the demand, there's nothing you can do. It doesn't matter how awesome your product is. So I love that. I love that you understand that. And I love that you're teaching people how to do that. That's so, so awesome. Oh my goodness. Yes. And so- you know, fellow Dropsy kid here. <laughs> yeah I was a cadet uh second lieutenant I think was the highest I got promoted so I got to ensign oh one nice <laughs> and I dropped out of high school oh wow that's how crushed I was I was like what's the point of 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 college and high school at this point it's what's the point of high school if it's not going to get me to college so to heck with it I'm just going to make money the way I know how and and do what I can 
you know, thank goodness for plan B. Okay. Like always have a plan B, right. Always have this thing that you're kind of just, yeah. Some people say you can't make it successfully if you hedge your bets full. Okay. Like you absolutely should have a plan B plan C plan D you might not spend, but you know, 5% of your time on this plan D, but absolutely have it. I'll show you why. So I'll tell you how I ended up living in a van. So at one point I was living with a housemate and uh, it, it, it went sour really quickly. Um, all of a sudden, some of our stuff went missing, including my stuff. And she accused me of stealing it. And she told me that I had to get out of there within the next four days. I had until the end of the weekend. It was Thursday. I had until the end of the weekend to get out of there. Okay. So on that short notice, I end up moving in with my boyfriend at the time. And he's already got a van that he's built and been camping in part-time. And he's not sure if he wants to be a nomad. So I'm like, go, go take a two week trip. He says, doesn't really know how to make a fire. So we go on trips. I help him make fire. Um, he learns and realizes over the course of the next six months that he loves this. So what we do is after a while, it's like, why don't you build a van to live in full time now that you know you love it? So he's like, heck yeah. So he buys a van. We start building it. Um, we bought the van in December of last year. We brought it home December 21st. Um, we started building it in New Hampshire, in New Hampshire over the winter. So it was slow going, real slow going, right? Now, most of the time you hear about builds and they take about a year to several years for people to finish. I was like, we ain't having that. We ain't got that kind of time. Um, and so I developed and engineered this like bolt in strategy. So we've got this van pretty well built um such to the point that at the beginning of beginning of march i'm sorry it's at, yeah it's at the beginning of march and our landlord is saying so when are you guys planning on moving out we're like should be about the end of should be about april you know we're this is now 30 days notice or sorry it was going to be the end of april the end of april was when we were going to move out and march 24th at 2 30 a.m i was woken up by a fire alarm we were woken up by a fire alarm. Thank goodness. Thank goodness we were woken up by a fire alarm at 2.30 in the morning. I remember with my eyes closed, hearing that fire alarm going off, being like, oh, this is so not the time. And then opening my eyes and going, nope, right now is the time. Time is now. I got up out of that bed as fast as I could, and I sleep naked. So, but I'm also a forethinker. <laughs> I always have something next to my bed I plan my next outfit the next day next to my bed it's always right there so the night before I had my clothes sitting there already so I literally like I can't see anything and thank goodness I think ahead so I just literally like pull on my house dress and my house robe and I start looking for where's this fire because you know where's this fire is going to determine how I get out of this place right and I come out of the bedroom and I look to my right and there's the fire right there at the back door. It's like, well, um, that's two that's feet funny. from where I was sleeping. <laughs> oh, shoot, all of our winter coats are right next to it. <sighs> all right, I can't see the winter coats, but I know they're there because I 
you know, I have this, ever since I was a kid, I saw this movie called Flashback and it terrorized me. So ever since then, I've made a habit of being able to get through my house with my eyes closed or in total darkness. This is a thing that I practice everywhere that I live. I have to be able to get through my house in total blackness. So I knew exactly where those coats were. I knew exactly how to get them. And all I could see was the flame at the bottom of that door and standing not a foot away from it to try and get all these coats off of the, off of the hooks, right? The last one that I'm struggling with is, is my boyfriend's motorcycle jacket, heavy leather armored motorcycle mm -hmm. jacket. And I'm just trying to pull it off the hook and I'm inching ever so closer to this flame. And I finally get it off the hook and I go into the bedroom and I toss them all on the bed. And then I hear him meowing, it's our cat. And he's already been on and off the phone with 911. And now we're trying to find the cat. And I follow the meowing and I hear, I find him under the bed. And I'm like, come on, come on out, Lister. Come on, come on. No time to be nice. I grab him by the foot and drag him out. Like, let's go, right? <laughs> so <laughs> we get out of the house. We put the cat in the car. We wait for the um, firemen to show up. And, you know, they're not long after they get there, they start tearing through the wall because the fire had started in the basement well, outside and then got into the basement and then crept up our walls and all of that stuff. So here it is a month and a week before our planned completion. And it's time to move into the van because it chewed through some electrical wires so we don't have electricity. Thank goodness we had a uh, 12 volt refrigerator already ready to go. We just, I, and I, I found out that um, an entire regular grocery shop will fit in it because I had literally just done grocery shopping the day before the fire. Wow. So everything fit in that, that, that bit, that cooler. Um, and we managed to, to, you know, salvage all of our food. Um, and the landlord gets us, this was the best the landlord could offer. If you guys pay April's rent, you'll have a parking space. <laughs> oh, heck no. So we just spent the next week getting all of the stuff out that we wanted to keep left everything else in place and just focused on getting ourselves right. And we spent two weeks at an Airbnb. Um, during those two weeks, our van was uh, at a friend's house and we were working on trying to get it at least to a baseline livable point. And then at the end of those two weeks, we loaded everything into it like a moving van and went out to Indiana at another friend's house where they had a garage and tools and, and a room where we could stay. So we went out to Indiana and we used that garage to store all of our stuff. We used our tools to finish the van and we stayed in that room for another two weeks. And then April 21st, 24th was the first night we slept in that van. Wow. Four months. We finished that van in four months. That's record, record time. It's amazing what you can do when mother nature puts a fire on your hoo-ha. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so that is absolutely the most harrowing thing that you can imagine going through. Um, and it's not even close to, to, how do I put this? So many people get through challenges like this and then they dream about doing things like standing on the stage at TED, like I do, right? And they go, oh gosh, how could I ever do that? Look at what you've already achieved. Look at what you've already survived. You have a 100% rate of achieving. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
you have a 100% rate of achieving. Signing up on the stage of TED is easy, okay? You know, like you already have everything within you that you need. You just need to pull it and do it. That's so, so powerful. I was on another podcast interview today. One of the things I talked about in my book um, that we were talking about earlier was leaning into our weaknesses. And I bet you talk to a lot of authors. Um, I heard it in a presentation once. They said, turn your misery into gold. Like you went through this. It sucked. It was hard, you know, but now you, you've risen and you can help someone else that's going to go through that. Right. Um, you know, so there's so many things that we go through or so many things that we think are weaknesses, but it's actually the things that make us unique, you know, and that's what, that's what gives us value. That's what allows us to help other people. That's what makes us stand out in the market, you know, is putting those weaknesses out there, you know, being brave enough to talk about like, like that fire. Like some people are like, I don't even want to think about it, you know, <laughs> talk oh, yeah. about it, use it. Like that happened to you. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, no, that's amazing. So like what, um, you know, can you give authors or other business owners, because your advice is amazing, um, a tip on, you know, another tip, I guess, because that was a great one. Um, you know, what, what is like one thing that you tell most of your clients as authors, um, you know, when they're starting out and, and they're building up their markets and stuff? Start when you're writing. That's one thing, right? And you're, you're absolutely doing it. You're already doing a um, building a podcast platform while you're writing, which is absolutely everything that I I I, I harp on um, too many times. Track. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yes. Um, so there was at one point I was working very closely with a traditional publisher. Um, this was the number one fastest growing traditional publisher. I, I don't um, exactly. There, there's a certain sort of customer that's very well suited to them, but. Um, they would constantly send me authors who have done no promotion whatsoever and their book is launching right now, like within the next couple of weeks. And I was like, what are you teaching these people? Because this is the thing, right? A couple of years back, about three years ago, uh, distributors decided that they were going to keep taking 55% of the profits, but they were no longer going to do the pre-selling of your books to the bookstores at their budgetary um, decision-making timeframes. Okay, this was the this was the marketing engine for books for the longest time. Now distributors no longer do that. Now it's entirely reliant on the author to do the marketing because distributors basically figured, oh, you know, if y'all can go ahead and just self-publish and then market your own book, well, then go ahead and do it, and we'll just keep taking fifty-five percent of the profits, right? So, it authors got shafted about three years back, and it's never turned back, and now the market is, is completely upside down and everything is different. The it's, it's a leveled playing field, not level. It is leveled. It is demolished. Wow. So you need to be able to build from rubble at this point, right? Hmm. You need to be able to pull yourself up, not just from your bootstraps, but from your roots. Right. So this is, a time now to be innovative and creative and come up with new ideas and try new things and be different. And my main, my absolute biggest principle that I teach everyone all the time is be awesome first. All right. Don't follow the algorithms. Okay. Don't be a follower. 
Don't try to do what is prescribed as successful. Strive to find what is successful for you. Okay. Be the first awesome yeah. person, right? Yeah. Be the first awesome thing in the, in your market. Be awesome first. Just be good to your people and your people will be good to you. Be the most amazing. And then Google will catch up to you. I love it. I love yes. it. Yes. Yes. So be awesome first. Um, the other major principle that I teach all the time is that content is actually really easy. Okay. Yes. Making con- yes. <laughs> Making content is actually really easy because all you have to do is listen to yourself. All right. So here's what you do. It's the three woes. It's whoa, whoa, whoa. All right. Okay. You listen to yourself. The first woe is when you go, whoa that's weird or that's interesting or whoa that's 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 curious or whoa that's different right so that's where you start with your headline is whoa that's different it's a what's it it makes you question it makes you go whoa what right the second whoa is when it goes oh whoa that's profound oh whoa that hit me oh wow that's that's a i hadn't thought of it that way that's the second whoa right and the third whoa is when you go, wow, I know someone who totally needs this. Or, <laughs> wow, this would be so amazing for, for Nicole. Or, wow, this would be, you know what I mean? When you think of somebody else that it would touch, right? Because if you don't know somebody that you can sell it to, you shouldn't be selling it. So you listen to yourself and you listen for those woes, and then you communicate those woes. And that is how you generate your content. Because ultimately, people will do something only after they feel something. You make them feel, you'll make them do. Love it. You make them feel, you make them do. That is awesome. Incredible. Like, there's so many thoughts swirling around my head right now. <laughs> and that's all you have to do is create experiences. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll give you an example. Um, one of my clients was struggling with trying to make content on other platforms to promote their YouTube channel, right? And it was one of those things where like, I just like, you know, I'm on, I'm, I'm a YouTuber. So how do I promote myself on Twitter? Do I just publish links to my videos? It's like, no. no, 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 no. You give people on Twitter that is a different perspective because this is the thing is that we don't want to follow you on five different platforms and get the same content. Right? Of I'll course. give you an example. <laughs> okay, here's a corporation who does this right. Okay. Baria, the pasta company, they're promoting themselves on Spotify. I saw that the playlist and it, it you you play it, it plays as long as the pasta needs to cook. Yeah. Exactly, right? So cross-platform promotion needs to be a different shade of your content. And so what I told this YouTuber to do was post pictures of your cat. Give your cat a personality on Twitter, (laughs) okay? Then your cat is a Twitter celebrity that's promoting your van. There you go. Okay, so that is how you kind of shift the shade of content to a different platform and just when you go on a different platform, it's not about promoting the content you already have, not necessarily. It's about giving a different shade of it 
and giving somebody a different experience, giving them a different feeling, giving them a different emotion, a different uh, emotional space to be in within you, creating a different experience. And another big thing that um, I talk to my clients about is you don't have to be cranking out content like all the time. You don't have to post seven times a day, right? It's better to be consistent and post good content consistently. So once a week or whatever your schedule is versus cranking out a bunch of crap all the time. Do you agree? I see you nodding. <laughs> Huge agreement. Okay. Um, in fact, there are some platforms where this works out so much better than others. Okay. Give you an example. On Instagram and LinkedIn, when you go to somebody's profile, you're only going to see their most recent content. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, LinkedIn will do this better than Instagram, but Instagram, you can add a bunch of people and let them look at your most recent content and help your numbers come up progressively by posting slower, right? So you post slower and you add people and, and, and uh, network with people and communicate with people more regularly than you post, right? You, you, you engage on other people's content more regularly than you post content and you get more people to come to your profile and look at your posts and that, and that boosts your numbers up, that boosts your engagement up. That makes Instagram put your posts in higher priority when you post again later on, right? Same thing with LinkedIn. In LinkedIn, it's even better because you can, your, again, your latest content is the only thing you're gonna see in the first three posts. So you could have an article on LinkedIn that's been sitting there for years and now has you know two or three thousand views because you've added another three or four thousand people into your network since then, and it, it, it's 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 a massive boost to your algorithmic um, um, profitability, right? So you, you absolutely content quality is king, not quantity, quality. Because if people go land on your page, you got to think about what people see when they land on your page. They go and land on your page, they see 15 pieces of crap, bulk, <laughs> you know, crap. like it, they're, they're not going to be as engaged with you. But if they go to your page and they see one gem right up there first and foremost in their face, they're going to be more interested in you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know what? I was just thinking when you were saying is we sometimes we tend to think about creating content like writing a blog post or making a video. But what you pointed out is so important. Those comments, though, that's content that you're creating, especially if you are, um, you know, being like a guest expert and answering questions and stuff. That's content. Like you don't have to be worrying about, ah, blah, blah, blah. I mean, do value over here. The value posts are in the comments that you post. So that's a genius little tweak in perspective. I hadn't even thought of it like that. Like you just made me like the light bulb go off right now as we were talking. Your most powerful content is never going to be on your profile. Oh, I'm going to quote most... you on that. I'm going to quote you on that. I'm going to make a little graphic about that. That is awesome, girl. Your most powerful content is going to be on other people's blogs. It's going to be on other people's YouTube, other people's Instagram, other people's Facebook, other people's groups. Your most powerful content is going to draw people to you. Absolutely. Oh, is that a plane? <laughs> I got an air show. <laughs> and that was just, that made me think, um, 
Yes, because that's and that's also the importance of like making sure that your cover photo and all your important information is a call to action, letting people know what you want them to do. Like, girl, this is awesome. Oh my goodness. Um, all right. So I don't know. Is there any last questions, any final comments before we sign off here? Because this call has been amazing. <laughs> Have you told your story yet in terms of that nugget of overcoming? Because I, I, I want to say, like, it, it's probably not something that I, I've come across just yet. So I maybe not today, but I want to see you. I want to see you say more of that story more often and talk about you too, because you, here's the thing that I know, that I know about you, all right? Even not, no, not like literally we, we met on a Facebook group a couple days ago, right? Okay. Shout and I have not Rachel. done. <laughs> Rachel. So rock your tribe. Um, so even not really talking to you much more than as we have, and it's been very little conversation. It's been awesome though. Even with as little as I know about you, this is one thing that I know about you. You got balls. <laughs> I know you have balls because you've started a podcast and you're writing a book and you're talking about writing your book. You are ahead of 99% of people who aspire to be where you are. Thank you. You know, it's so nice to hear it. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Thank you. And it's written plainly all over everything that you do. So I want to know, what makes you tick? What makes you keep walking? Oh, I've got a story now. Yeah, I've been, I've actually been working on like revamping my bio. Um, yet to talk about it more. And in my book, I, I, I wrote it. And then um, I, I've gone through this process with my book. First of all, um, I didn't write the book I thought I was going to write. I thought I was going to write a book about business and entrepreneurship and about, you know, like systems and things and all the stuff that I've learned, you know, in the last 10 years, you know, figuring it out on my own. And when it gets down to it, I was like, okay, what, what does every single entrepreneur have in common? Like, no matter what we do, what can I talk about that, you know? And, um, and it ended up being, um, most of the book about gratitude um but then the first round that I wrote it um you know I wrote it kind of like a research paper almost <laughs> because I was so unsure of myself and I was like am I on the right track and I realized that I was using a bunch of men's quotes to validate the things I was saying <laughs> um and that's a big, you know, like this is a process that you go through. Like you wouldn't realize that. So one of the first changes I made, I was like, I need to read more books by women. And so that was a change that I, that I made writing the book. And then I went through it and I was like, okay, there's a lot of facts and there's a lot of stuff, but where is, how did I learn this? And so I had to go back through the whole book again. And then like the stories of why I wrote those chapters were there but it felt so personal at first that you're like, these are mistakes. Like, I don't, these are the things that I don't want to talk about. You know, these are things that make me sad or whatever, but those that's the gold. So I had to go back through and insert those stories. And so I talk about like how I'm a first generation American by my mom's side. Um, 
you know, they came here. Me too. Yes. So four generations of women came here from from Cuba and they got on freedom flights. They left everything they knew behind. They had one suitcase and they came here. So I'm like, how can I be mediocre? How can I be nothing when they came here so I could be born free so that I could do something, you know? And like those four generations of women are gone. Like my mom, my grandma, my great grandma, my great, great grandma. Like, look, actually, I have a picture. Five generations and one photo right here. That was my great, great grandma. (laughs) And so that's a big part of what I do. And like realizing with all the protests and stuff going on, like it's a privilege for me to do this, to to just be able to go in business for myself, to talk to you. Um, You know, um, I went through, I've got issues like depression, anxiety. I was diagnosed when I was like 15. And for a long time, I didn't have anyone to talk to about that. And now I do, and I'm kind of like, I'm coaching the other people that I'm in the group in. And then, you know, the, the, they're telling me like, oh yeah, that's, that's actually what we teach. And I'm like, you taught this to yourself. Like you figured this out, you know? And if I hadn't gone through those dark moments and, um, you know, like I grew up without a mom, you know, with the depression, with the, with the not fitting in in school, but it, it all led to something. It was all because I was different. I was unique. And that's the power. I can't be the only one that felt weird. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, oh and so there's got to be other people out there that are like this story, the stuff, the, the shit that I've been through, it's got to have been for something. I've got to make it worth something. And so, you know, that's why I'm doing, and I wanted to make this podcast because I'm like, I keep talking about like my book is about to come out. It takes a while, you know, and you got to, with the writing and the editing and you're bearing your soul. So sometimes you got to put it down and like give it a minute and then come back to it. Um, but yeah, like that's where I've bared my soul and told so many parts of my story that for a long time, I didn't even want to talk about. I didn't want to think about, I, you know, cause you have to face, you have to face demons you know, and you have to relive moments and you have to think about the moment and then think about what that moment meant and and analyze it and, and like people that did stuff to you and you're like, you know, and so this is just the, the, the process of writing a book has just been so therapeutic in itself. Um, I'm sure other authors have told you that too. You know, it's, it's a bit of a blessing to start out with big shoes to fill. (laughs) you know and it it does definitely at first yeah it'll give you anxiety to realize that oh holy heck my mission is so big you know mi abuela and 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 my whole family we all they all came over here to to give me freedom and what am I going to do with it what's my excuse that that is a heck of a story you know that that you had shoes to fill and it broke you at first and you know what? I think everybody goes through a moment like that. Um, and, and this is something that I very commonly say is that the, the one thing that I expect in every interaction with every single human, and this is the thing that excites me most about talking to humans and, and, and engaging in society. The one thing that I expect is differences. And that's the most beautiful thing. Because whenever there's a difference, there's an opportunity. How boring would it be if I just all the same? <laughs> thank you so much for this and thank no, you so much thank you for the for stories because they are so massively important and uh i look forward to seeing where you go with your big balls your massive cajones 
Thank you so much. You're so cute. <laughs> um, and then you just before we sign off here, I just want to verify you've got you sent me your links here. Yep, my LinkedIn. I am linkedin.com slash in slash more than some M-O-R-E-T-H-A-N-S-U-M. That is a play on uh, an Aristotle quote, uh, which is that we are greater than the sum of our parts. Uh, we are more than some. Oh, I love it. Okay, perfect. All right. So whoever can, wants to get in touch with you definitely can. All right. So uh, signing off then. Thank you so much. This call has been absolutely amazing, Patricia, and we will see you next time.